So good morning. Hope things are um, going in a good way for you. May not seem that way. Um, I'd like to talk a bit about the process then. So I think um, presented some maps, and the Satipatthana gives us a reasonable degree of maps. It's like going in the kitchen. There's the spices. There's the herbs. There's the vegetables. Here's the knife. You know, here's the pot, here's the stove. But how do you do it? <laughs> what is cooking? What's cooking for you? Hmm. Retreat time gives us a chance to, uh, very loosely, very loosely speaking, unwind or look into that. And uh, it kind of happens to a degree just by being in a situation where some of the uh, signals of daily life are not being generated or less of them. You know, there's uh, certainly there are times, experiences, there are bells, but perhaps less violent alarms and pressures and drives and urgencies. It's quiet. So some of the signals are going off, being switched off. And what happens, here we are talking a lot about uh, coming into the body, being aware of your body, feeling your body more fully. And just a very, so far, really just starting to get into, you know, can we be with, can we get a breathing, can the breathing become long, complete, involuntary, pleasant, you know, so we're not struggling around it, and we're tuning into that, and, you know, now as a signal, as a sign, that can mean, you know, hurry up and get mindful of the breathing, hold it together, focus intensely on it, what does that signal do? Hmm. probably nothing that good for you <clears throat> and as we just enter into the body domain so I really haven't instructed in that way sometimes people think this is a bit vague but actually it's compassionate um, entering into the bodily field which you, you are doing and you will do because that's kind of your home base anyway you're going to go into it what what occurs, you know, perhaps a lot of discordant experiences, some of it put down to physical pain, physical discomfort, but other things like feeling really tired, whoa, sleepy, feeling kind of woozy, uh, those sorts of strange things coming up, motions, memories, perceptions, stuff coming, some things get very fluid, yeah. We the you know as you're entering into the bodily field and people are starting to talk about their emotions, you know, the emotional fears, worries, um feeling you know, nervous or sad. Uh, where did that come from? <laughs> Haven't said feel your emotions. And yet that's what happens because as you're as you're sitting, as you're entering into your body field, you're starting to melt a little from the impacted state, compacted state, functional state, which tends to be much harder edged into something softer, the water element. And in that kind of melting, then what comes up is the body as it starts to release, it releases experiences that we feel as emotions. Mm -hmm. Some of these experiences you don't quite feel as emotions, they're more like felt experiences like sleepy, dull, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of very, you know, our emotions tend to be the, the register of experiences that we can most easily classify as sad, 
uh, nervous, um, tense. You know, but in the bodily field, you because you're entering the the bodily sense has a much wider range of felt senses than a normal range of what we call emotion, which is much more attuned to the auditory experience, like voices. So it should have strong signals of happiness, rage, threat, so on. In the body, emotional, all that felt experience is a much wider range to what am I feeling? So I'm slightly groggy, uh, spacey, uh, stuck, sticky, gluey, uh, spinning. You know. This is the result of that beginning to melt. And uh, every now and then you may get the signal, I'm not meditating properly. I should be getting this clear attention on the breathing, sustaining mindfulness, breathing in, breathing out. Things are going wrong. No, no, they're not going wrong. You're having a totally normal experience, yeah, <clears throat> which is the meltdown. And what we're saying is within that, all these rather disturbing senses can come up. We begin to feel, I feel I'm being judged. Who's doing, who's, where's that? Who's doing that? So that sense comes up, the feeling of a slight hostility around me. It registers that. Something I have to be nervous about because I might be getting it wrong. Now there are many times and occasions when that can be occurring. That can be quite valid. Not occurring here. doesn't matter it's not occurring here because that sense is now frozen into the body. And as you melt, that sense comes up, you know. So I can imagine all these emotional patterns, why they are retained is because they're retained in, in, in the body. And as the body sense begins to release, they start floating up. And we're kind of regressing, you know, uh, to quite uh, uh, early, early experiences, feeling welcome, feeling okay, nervous about the group, other people. Other people. Everybody here is a precepts, pleasant, reasonable people. This isn't personal, it's just the sense of the other can be registered in that way. And so don't worry about it. You try to not add to it, just try to feel the feeling in your body. And as you're feeling that, we're using just the sense of the upright the walking, the very simple organization of the body, the fundamental organization around the spine, yeah, not around your face, around your spine, you're centering around that, walking, you can do that when you walk, when you stand, when you sit, so that's a, even when you lie down, you can center around that, so it's a useful reference, and it means you've got something there that acts as a, a mooring post, yeah. and if we can within that, holding that as a basic frame of reference, and then from there can we sense anything that tells us breathing in, breathing out. Yeah. And maybe that becomes clearer and stronger in accordance with the degrees in which your meltdown has occurred. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you may wonder why it's, why it seems so easy in the suttas and so difficult well, you know, how come this is seven days, you know, in Satipatthana Sutta? Well, I, I seven days, if you're in the natural state, seven days. If, you, if you're already returned to normality <laughs> completely, <laughs> seven days. <laughs> Probably that could be true. But we haven't even got to the, the, the haven't switched the clock on yet. It's, you know, we haven't got to the starting block yet. We're still kind of, you know, limbering and and taking taking the the stuff off, taking the armor off, and uh, switching some of the triggers off. And they don't switch off easy. In fact, you can't switch them off. But you can enter into a situation whereby that the awareness, fundamental awareness, can begin to sense 
or fully as you sense these triggers and you sense your body and you sense your spine and you sense breathing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not there. That signal is not there. Oh. Right. Breathing out. And you go there time and time again to those places where you're triggered. Holding or sustaining or trying to fulfill the simplicity of that that posture and that you know, I hardly call it a practice, just being aware of the rhythm. Rhythm is a very soothing, comforting experience. Don't try to get pinpoint accuracy, just get into the rhythm and give it time. And the awareness extending fully into that, as if this is exactly right, all you need, everything is fine. <laughs> and reaching some of those triggers, where are they happening in your bodily sense, is it? You know, if you can't get it ex- exact, don't worry about it, but it could be an overall sense of not much room here. Or, you know, uh, on my toes, over alert, edgy. Yeah. So these may be not specific to locations, but they can be overall bodily senses. So you touch that and you breathe through that. As it, you know, oh. you know, and it just is, it allows the system to reorganize itself around stress, stresslessness, involuntary quality, stresslessness, and things melt. And as they do, what occurs are not maybe uh, suddenly senses of relief, probably more likely feeling disoriented. And perhaps some of those emotional patterns that are in there begin to unfold and we feel sad or exhausted or, uh, you know, whatever, you know. So often people just, you want to just crash out, really. And we think, why don't we just have a sleeping retreat? (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I think that, that, that... there are retreats where we set up that we just learn to rest a lot, which is a great. It could be a great idea, you know. Here's a bed, and every now and then somebody comes around with a glass of mango juice. Are you all right, dear? <laughs> <laughs> Little foot massage if necessary, and you just kind of gurgle and gurgle. But, but. <laughs> The, you know, that may, that may, they may work to a degree as just a symptomatic thing, but we want, if we really want to get some understanding of how to do this, then it's actually better to stay, you know, without massive amounts of stress, try to stay in a meditative state, you know, loosely speaking, upright or attuned to your spine if you're lying down, alert, Alert but open, just switched on with no particular program, not to feel what's being felt. And feel it very fully and feel your body fully, that is your awareness spreads through your body and even into the space around you. Now, how is that? Is your awareness kind of happening around you? Perhaps not. Maybe it's just the case in which there are, your nerve endings or your your signaling system is, is sensing what's around you. And we can do that. You know, we do do that. You know, every creature does that. You see, dogs do it, cats do it. They get what's happening. Whiskers go out. You know, what's happening? And we do the same thing if we allow ourselves to do so. Really feeling at the edge of your skin and the periphery of the body. What's around me? Is there anything here that I need to organize, get done? Uh, be, how am I being seen? We can get that sense. What if there's nobody looking, or what's looking at us is actually benevolent, admiring, Buddha, you know? <clears throat> what, what would that be like? So you can play with these things, so, so the entire body system can, you know, come to what we call the natural state. Recognizing that the path through that may affect you through some pretty rocky 
territory as things unfold. But it's extremely encouraging to recognize that the process will occur with a little bit of effort. That is just what it takes to stay mindful in a very broad way, you know, with no conclusion, no aim, no performance, no graduation, no marks, no certificates, no um, time boundaries that will start to unfold because it wants to and we have to in a way hand it over to something that's intuitive and not controlled through our normal way of operating so yeah you know, one of the things to um, just to frame up to put the word is control systems, control and organization. Mm-hmm. You know, and how important that is for us in our lives driving a car, mm-hmm. working on a problem, you know, fulfilling a function, control, organize, make sure that's working, make sure that's working arrive at the result that work programming and this is something that's a very profound effect on our lives for who knows 50 years yeah 50 years (laughs) perhaps my father started working when he was 14 and uh, worked till he dropped dead at 68. So that was 54 years. Was in work mode. And, uh, you know, basically died of stress. <clears throat> now, with, as I said, you know, the signals switch on very easily. I've got to get it done. It's important. It's urgent. It's necessary. Get the right results. Uh, make sure you get, make everybody else happy. Um, achieve. Those very easily switched on because our system responds very easily to stress, to, to the threat, the danger of getting it wrong. Yeah. As Jonas Meta was saying, yes, this is the primary signal where we go into alerts and switching it off takes a bit longer you have to really check it out feed it out and because that signal goes into your body your body firms up that signal and keeps you in that mode so even you know you're getting seven eight hours sleep a night probably in the working day you're still not resting you are in a degree but you're not completely resting Sometimes you can't get to sleep because, you know, the body's still holding that signal in a subliminal way, and it's we can't control our ability to control. Yeah, so I'd like to be in control of my control system, so I could switch them off. That's a control attitude, right? And you can't control uncontrol. You have to allow. Allow the chaos. And find it safe. Allow getting it wrong. Find it safe. Just sustaining that present awareness to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. Now we control a lot. Uh, Just at work. You know, our social behavior. Uh, what's suitable, what's acceptable, what's polite, um, what's decent, you know, things like that. That's happening a lot. But if you look at something like, uh, so yeah, it's 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 necessary, but how to undo it so that you can let the system rest? Because the control is a certain activating, energizing. Uh, you know, there's a certain t- tightening up that occurs with that. Mm. And if it's, particularly through, when you're doing 
abstract things such as ideas, um, work programs, schedules, goals, that means that fundamentally that's going to be held in your head, your eyes and head. So you get that very tight up there. That doesn't switch off. Particularly as most of us with our minds can recognize the work is never finished. Okay, you've got today's quota done, but tomorrow, by the end of the week, uh, and let me think. Yeah, where it's going now, perhaps by next week, weekend, I could relax, but I'm really going to get that. Don't you go to bed with that? So it's still there, isn't it? Still on alert. Wake up in the morning. Oh, right, okay, cup of coffee, toast, and bath cereal, get the thing done. It's boom, there it is. Hardly, hardly even stopped. And work is a is a very strong program, and uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with earning a living, but you recognise the criteria as they tighten up and get more and more less tolerant, a more abstract nine to five every day. Say, then you're operating in a completely inorganic way, and that's <laughs> that's more stress on the on the system. So you keep upping the stress quotas to points which should become absurd. I was reflecting the Sangha members this morning about a friend I chap I knew and he he'd had this um you know bone cancer in his pelvis. So he'd he'd had been feeling really rotten, you know, so bad he couldn't go to work. So he asked to take a week off work because he's feeling so, he didn't know what was wrong with him, you know, and well, he's feeling just really tired, exhausted, sick, nauseous, and so he went to the doctor and said, hmm, could you come, come back in three days' time, and have done some tests, and hmm, um, I'm afraid we have to tell you, you know, we'd better take him into hospital for uh, ten days or so to, to really examine these samples, because it looks like you have a serious form of cancer, and you might only have two weeks left to live. And he said, but I only took a week off work. <laughs> I can't lay, you know, it's that feeling, I can't laze around in a hospital and die. I've got, you know, I only took a week off work. And I said, well, you know, you only have two weeks left to live. And I only took a week off work. There's this kind of reaction, you know. <laughs> Uh, so, in the, certainly, we look in the Satipatthana suit. I don't think these people were operating like that. <laughs> you know, they may have been, you know, farmers or merchants. So they weren't operating like that. So, yeah, they just didn't have this huge amount of stress to unpack, and the uh, and the way of behaviour, where we really believe in numbers. Uh, yeah. And it disembodies us. We go very abstract. It's a common enough observation, I think, particularly for some of the earlier days when some of the you know the people went to Thailand to train in the forest monasteries, and then the, you know a lot of the Thai monks were basically were village village boys, village men, and yeah, you know, farming, buffaloes, da 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 da, and. Uh, you know, they were in their bodies because that's what their lifestyle was about. And they couldn't believe how clumsy these Westerners were. You know, walking around constantly stubbing their feet on, on, on roots of trees, walking into spiders' webs, bashing their heads on low hanging branches. How are these people so utterly stupid? <laughs> <laughs> and the Westerners thinking, because I'm, I'm being mindful. I'm trying to be mindful as I, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Because mindful is something you do with your mind, which is up in your head, right? That's where your mind is, up in your head. So to really be mindful, you want to screw this up tight, and do, you know, so you know what you're doing, and you, you, lose, you go out of your body. You're not really fully embodied. So you, oh. As Ajahn Amaro was saying, when he was, I think, in Anagarika, and he was, they was, had to chop some bamboo or something, he had a machete, and he held the bamboo between his toes, and he thought, I'll be really mindful. Took a sweep of the machete and he slashed, stuck the machete in his foot. 
And his toe has been permanently affected since. You know, and they just could the ties just couldn't believe that anybody could be so utterly stupid. <laughs> just kind of somewhere between shock and humour as to, and really being mindful doing that, taking a because <laughs> we haven't really operated through our bodies properly. You know, it's all the mindfulness is up in your head. That's where you live. You know. And then you look at something like, you know, you see a, an ice skater, all right, when ice dances, you know, when they're flowing along. And, you know, this idea of mindfulness is on one point. Awareness is collected onto one point. And you see... The ice skater, she's she's skating with her partner, she's aware of her partner, she's aware of the skate, she's aware of her legs, she's aware of the movement of the movement, she's aware of the whole thing, the muscles, the hands, everything. The awareness is completely saturated, steeped to the entire form. Everything is working together. And that can be a very ecstatic experience, happy, not stressful at all. You, know, you see some of these ice skating champions or something like that. You know. And yet, they practiced, you know, practice, 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 ten years to get their bodies to learn that. You know. mm-hmm. So that idea, you know, concentrate means go up on your head and, and screw your head tight. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And go on, and go unconscious, you know, you do so. Samadhi. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the more the understanding, particularly in the traditional Buddhist countries, oh, if his mind's anywhere, it's sort of in the center of your, it's in your center of your body, isn't it? You know, sometimes it's in the heart, sometimes it's in the belly. This is where the central GHQ is, it's here. You're sensing things through there and you sense through the entire form. And there, the experience of being there is is happy, because the, those centres are directly connected, not to abstract thought, but to sensory contact and feeling. Oh, look! There's no pressure. Hmm, nobody's bothering me. Fine, you know, and then. I'm in a safe place. I've taken refuge. I am, you know, that sense of the, the happiness that comes with that. Whereas you just think it with your brain. I am in a safe place. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. So what? <laughs> <laughs> I did a good deed yesterday. You shouldn't congratulate yourself. That's, a, that's attachment. That's egotism. Oh, sorry. Now remember, you're a failure, and you've got to get it right. Oh yeah, I, I, I got that one. And that experience you're having is not what you should be experiencing at all. You should be experiencing something other than what you're experiencing. Oh yeah, that sounds convincing. <laughs> so try harder. Screw up a bit tighter. But really, the you know the process of that you know, the movement towards collectedness is, first of all, often described as, you know, you 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 take in the meaning of really getting it, that you, everything is, you're in a, you recollect skillful states, you recollect feeling warm, you recollect being appreciated, you recollect the happy qualities of your generosity and your goodwill. You, you touch into those. And you let that signal run through your entire system, and your body begins to relax and feel fresh. And the Buddha is saying, then when the body is relaxed and fresh, the mind starts to feel happy. When the mind is happy in this way, internally happy, there is no need to make an effort. May my mind be concentrated. It does it, because why go anywhere else? It's got somewhere comfortable to sit. Unless you create a comfortable place, your mind is not going to sit down. 
Now that creating a comfortable place isn't exactly something we can dictate, but we can set up processes that begin to allow that to form. So it's both kind of voluntary and involuntary. The voluntary bit that we have some say over is, do I have enough faith and determination and just to get here and open up and just keep practicing this very simple thing? And then do I have enough faith to trust what's happening in its own bizarre ways, maybe what should be happening instead of it's always wrong? And let it let it change. Let it rest in impermanence, let it change. Feeling it in the body. Could it be that instead of my mind is always wandering off to other things, you know, it should be concentrating on the breathing, could it be that my mind is going through its unpredictable process of unpacking itself? (laughs) And it's doing exactly what it should be doing. It's starting to kind of go through those familiar areas of concern and uh, keep visiting them again and again. But instead of visiting them again and again with a feeling of, oh, don't stop doing that, go somewhere else, or just recycling the same concern, you touch into those, what I'm calling loosely speaking concerns, and you, how is this? What's the real feeling with this? How is could this be sensed? Look at it like in body metaphors, pressure, uh, space, uh, threat, uh, need. You know, very, instead of, I've got a such and such a psychological issue, which is, could be a true way, but it's a different language, you just kind of sense it from the body's way of sensing things. What's happening in your body? Don't feel, it doesn't feel safe doesn't feel like it's got any ground underneath it. Feels teetering. Yeah. Feels pressed. Yeah. So you don't have to locate a particular area, but it may be that some part of your body does seem more heightened, you say your chest or your face or something. Whether that's a general sense or a more localized sense, touching that. Breathing in, breathing out opening to that this is the way we process and clearing it's partly decisive and partly random it's just that which happens sometimes you don't even know Uh, but recognize that you're not doing it because you probably couldn't construct some of these incredible patterns of experience that happen you don't even know them yourself didn't decide oh let me think i think get to real really tired and exhausted uh it just kind of opens up doesn't it how much control do we have At a certain behavioural level, when it becomes functional, we have a reasonable degree of control. You can drive a car. I can write. I can read. I can organise things like that. So external, functional level, come to your control. The closer it gets to the real business, the less control is available. Could I stop worrying? Sometimes you can't sleep. You never had to do sleep. How come you can't sleep? You can't even control that. Uh, the closer you get to the real business of where you are, the less and less you have decisive control. You can't say, may I be happy? Uh, may I forgive others? Uh, may I not have jealousy? be nice, wouldn't it? But it doesn't happen like that. The closer you get to the real business, the less say you have over it. Now we can control what we say, sometimes you don't, but we can have some say over that. We can learn to write, but sometimes your handwriting, you never get it, it's all scrawling all over the page. 
we can learn a reasonable degree of control of driving a car, but even that's not complete, is it? Yeah. You can forget, you can slip, you can make a mistake, you lose attention, the car breaks down. You know, how much decisive control do you have in your life? Can you say, I will get to work on time? No, because you could get in a traffic jam, the bus could break down, you could slip on the street and break your ankle. 101 things could happen. You cannot decisively say what will happen. You can set up an intention. And when you know what you can do, one of the things in meditation to learn is what can be done, do it fully, completely, slowly, carefully, and fully sense it out. If it's sitting up, do that. <laughs> yeah. If it's uh, having a meal, just do that. Just be there with that. And what you don't need to do, don't do it. Don't think about the future if you don't need to. Don't remember the past if you don't. Anything you can switch off, do so. Hmm. You don't need to be nice to people. You need just not to violate them. You don't have to smile and look happy for everybody else. Don't bother. <laughs> you can be as miserable as you like. It's great relief, isn't it? So we're looking at what you need to do, simplify, do it thoroughly with full awareness, what you don't need, and just start to recognize, I think I don't need that anymore. Yeah. This one, I think I could, don't need that anymore. But some of this stuff doesn't switch off that easy. So you just try to keep putting your energy into what simply can be done very thoroughly and gradually things will shift as you regain normality the normal natural state <clears throat> the jitta begins to unfold and open and its nature is wise intelligent and balanced in the natural state <clears throat> <clears throat> Now, what are the qualities the where our controls kick in? Certainly, fear is one of them, threat is some of them, um, making things work, getting things right, you know, being a nice person, um, achieving what I need to achieve, um, being liked, whatever. You know, these are ways, these kind of profound and ingrained things happen. So, and so you can sense that. Now, it's often, as we say, you know, without clinging to anything in the world, I have to, I have to stop clinging. I really got to stop clinging. How much say do you have over that? As I said, it's a very simple phrase, but do we really know what that upadana refers to? Mm. Clinging sounds so kind of gross, and, uh, you know, but... What, what is that actually happens? It's not gross at all. So, yeah, what's um, explained uh, when we talked about the five aggregates, and it's quite a big, heady lump of business there. But these are the these are the <laughs> oh, let me think modes of experience that are affected by clinging. They they are clingable. Now, just using a little analogy, imagine you know you've got planets and suns and so forth that they have gravity, they pull things towards them. Yeah. If you get into the gravitational field of one of these planet planet objects, it pulls in. Right? It pulls in. Now these aggregates are rather like that. They've got the potential to pull in. They have a gravitational force. So, form. Now, what happens when we perceive form? Any form. Yeah. There's some sense of, oh, there's the form there, I'm here. That already is the first degree of upadana. Mm. No, yeah. When, because what occurs is a sense of a separate self is a result of it. 
So rupa, form, has the experience of attracting attention. And if attention is attracted to it, then the sense of here am I, there's that. This is very mild. It's kind of functional, you could say. The real stuff occurs when in that process, rupa, perception kicks in. That's a nice looking thing. Oh, I want one of those. Hmm. So perception, feeling kicks in, and a little bit more energy happens, doesn't it? And as that happens, I become a needy person, hungry person, who'd like one of those. That becomes very nice, desirable, absolutely necessary. Why not? <laughs> the same thing as suddenly its gravitational forces increased by perception and feeling and sankara, which are these impulse habits. If I put my two quid on the table, I'll get one of those. I get my little bit of plastic out, I'll have one of those. Boom, there it is. Boom. <laughs> now that's a, you know, and then you get it and, right. Oh, it's, so what? I got three of these in the drawer already. <laughs> How did I do that? <laughs> Just the force of gravity alone, clinging alone. You get people who are shopper maniacs, you know, or shopaholics. Do something. Let's go down and spend some money. Saturday afternoon. Go down and go to a shopping mall and spend some money. Because that feeling of, there it is, it's desirable, I'm about to get some, I've got it. That's a, that's a nice little buzz to it. So feeling, perception and feeling are subject to clinging. They arouse a particular energy that sets up the basis of desire, of craving, of need. Of want, and that's a totally irrational experience. It's irrational. It rings in our nervous system, and you know, most people have got some degree of say over that. But if the January sales, well, look, you're going to save fifty quid. <laughs> you know, you can spend two hundred, but you save fifty. You trample other people down to get to that special offer. People do this to each other, you know, to get to that. It's like herd, the irrational instinct. And suddenly the behavior systems begin to melt under the effect of craving. Yeah. And what does craving do? The object is luscious, desirable, cool, neat, necessary, and so forth, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating, of course, just to make it highlight. And then my experience is feeling a bit depleted. And how good that one would be. Yeah. You look through a catalogue, wow, I really need a da-da-da-da, because there's a model in the catalogue with a smiling face sitting in a chair with one. She looks totally blissed out. I want one of those. <coughs> Signals. Mm. I feel depleted. That lovely, glowing, luscious object is out there. I feel depleted. Tanha. Now, as soon as I got it, it's no longer out there. It's here. I can't want it anymore because I got it. Well, I don't want it anymore. The glow's gone. So what? I still feel depleted. <laughs> so it's sort of like that, you know, the, the, the buzz dies down. So what sets up the psychology is what I don't have is full of lovely, glowing, good energy. What I am doesn't have it. And the more you follow that, more the mind follows that habit, the gravitational force of that habit, the more you spin into a sense of need, depletion, not good enough until I get the stars, the gold marks, the status, the approval, the degree, the da-da-da, then I'll be good. Once you got it, nope.
kind of glow and then but you could get it just transfers to something else so tanna is a state whereby all of the richness or a lot of the richness of our life is gets projected onto an object and leaves our presence and your awareness then loses its intelligence loses its richness loses its joyfulness and all that juice flows out onto the objects around us that's the effect of clinging and craving and uh, you know if you see people in extreme states of that we call them addictions and perhaps we all have mild addictions you know people we would really call addicts feel extremely depleted lost that's that's you should say the extreme extremity of that process a person is drinking or whatever shooting up or into porn or something other repeatedly and they're still not feeling full enough of the joy juice and yet they can't stop because you're in the pull of it it's so tight now you're like something like a black hole it's got immense gravitational force that's clinging it's don't decide to do it it just takes over Mm. but we can decisively begin to edge out of that that's what restraints about renunciations about just switching things off is about so you know it's a bit like sometimes we like doing cold turkey when your mobile phone's off you see the quiver the shakes for a, a sms or something <laughs> but you know you, you can do it and and then come through the sense of depletion or nervousness or compulsiveness and begin to enrich your awareness and then this is the way we regain out the fullness of being through that you know so clinging and if you basically say you shouldn't cling you really end up going back to the control system up in your head telling you how naughty you are and how you have you know you, you have all these terrible habits and that that system isn't gonna it's not awareness awareness is what takes you out not ideologies not not so you can't you know you're shifting to full awareness and sometimes the full awareness first touches into the sense of what those you know the depletion we may experience or the you know the not feeling full and joyful you have to be aware of the rather uncomfortable pieces and till you begin to awareness begins to sense something healthy stable and it begins to sense itself right there is awareness there is chitta thus one abides independent of anything in the world world of the aggregates doesn't mean there aren't any but your ability to experience form in a much more you know aware way noticing the signals the triggering the pulls the pushes the comments that you know there's form there's a perception perception of being late there's a perception of being late you know i'm being late i'll turn up late on time i won't be there on time i won't get there on time by nine o'clock i'll be late i'll be late i'll be terribly late how late i'm gonna be oh disgrace shame shock horror disturbs everybody crashes in late idiot stupid lazy indulgent couldn't even get it together get to trying them on time idiot fool late failure how are you going to meditate like this you can't even get it together get to the trying room on time and the teacher's there and he sees me and he's always on time and he disapproves of me because i'm so lazy and stupid self-indulgent i was having a kip after breakfast let's face it you <laughs> so, so just you know <laughs> it was only two minutes late it's all right you know be late learn to be late don't deliberately but learn okay you know you can't all get through the door at the same time it's not big enough so somebody's going to be last aren't they if we could all get through the door at the same time so nobody be late later than anybody else it'd be all equal (laughs) 
Somebody's going to come in last feeling, oh, I'm last, I'm going to question and disturb people. All these people, I'm going to disturb them. Yeah. So you know, perception of other people. Check that one out. <coughs> Who are these other people? Yeah. Who's looking at you? Who's commenting on your posture? Who's commenting how much food you eat? Who's commenting on how you do the chore? <laughs> you know who it is. <laughs> it's not other people, is it? <laughs> That's called projection. So then, affected by clinging, even when there isn't an object, we create an object. The object gets the subject, and the object created by clinging. And perception: if there isn't anybody, I can create somebody who disapproves of me. <clears throat> now that isn't a choice. Nobody, nobody would want to do that. That's the effect of clinging. So we come back to those experiences of here. I am getting it wrong. <laughs> Getting it wrong, feeling my body, getting it wrong. <sighs> getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just start to feel some of the those signals and just refuse to send a different signal there. I'm getting it wrong. Therefore, I need encouragement. I'm getting it wrong. Therefore, I need to be given a little more time. I'm getting it wrong. Therefore, I need a little more kindness. I'm getting it wrong. Therefore, I need to trust my ability to learn. It doesn't mean... So it's a very different set of intentions that occur from from established awareness. And we begin to even check out what is what is wrong anyway? Right, wrong. Who are other people? These can be very difficult experiences. Again, example, I mean I had a uh, a young man who became a Samir, I think, a bhikkhu. And for him to sit in a room with other people, he would have to be in the corner, in the corner with his back, with two, the two walls on either side. That was as good as he could, that was as much as he could manage. In a group, like the Sangha meeting of maybe 16 people, he would have to be in the corner, with, feeling the back, his wall, back against the wall. That was as much as he could handle. So clearly, you know, he tried, but community life wasn't something he could manage. The sense of other people was just so irrationally terrifying, nerve-wracking. And there was history to back that up. Another example, we had uh, one of our supporters, uh, yeah, very devoted uh, a Thai supporter said we'd like to give you time to be on retreat oh that'd be very nice give her a cootie in the forest forest cootie oh can I bring my friend ok so the two of them sitting in the cootie because being on your own doesn't feel very nice <laughs> it's so nice just to be with a friend have a friend around so you think how are we going to organise this monastery <laughs> You know, some people, the idea of being on your own feels a bit sort of bleak and lonely. For other people, the idea of being with somebody else is terrifying, you know, or awkward. (laughs) What's happening? Different significance, isn't it? Different signifiers of what that means to other people. Some people, you know, I think particularly maybe you know, broad brush, but 
village communities where people have learnt to live as as family, extended family, running around, sharing each other's houses, so forth. Being with other people is kind of nice and comfortable and kind of fun. Other people have been in kind of war zones or severely traumatised societies. Being with other people is nerve-wracking. Mm. And we have a monastery, and we've built this very nice Dhamma hall. Space, plenty of space. Sit and meditate in there. Great, you know. Now you don't have to be in the room listening to somebody walking down a corridor you know, and so forth, you know. Everybody likes to to have some space and time to practice meditate. Even in the forest. Machito's here a forest, you can go out to your kuti in a forest. Uh, I don't like to be in a hall with other people. I feel it more comfortable on my own. Okay. Then fine, there's a go out to your meditation hut and the, then you go to tea and there's people sitting around at tea time chatting with each other. I thought you wanted to be alone. <laughs> well, just having a chat, you know. So it, it's not just about being alone, it's like being somewhere which represents form or formality or an organization or can feel difficult. Yeah. And being with other people in that situation, we can feel over-formalized. And then we sit around and have a cup of tea together and other people suddenly become a form of friendship and company. <laughs> Isn't this a crazy thing, human beings? But, yeah, so these these are not people, these are signals. Yeah, so, like I was saying with metta, you can just try, or just work towards the impression that everything around you, your body immediately is spacious, open, warm, friendly. You know, try to feel that in your arms, in your chest, your face, your belly. If it means you imagine you're sitting in a warm bath or a sunny beach or something, play with it. How does that feel? Because these experiences are very much body signals. We may have psychological interpretations of them and emotional responses, but the primary thing is the what the body senses. So, yeah. so clinging can be undone, can't be undone completely just through cl- clarity and uh, idea and intentionality. It can't be done without clarity and intentionality, but it can't be done with it. Your clarity and intentionality is just to come into the place where that can undo itself, which is in the embodied state. Breathing in, breathing out. This is why it's taught and... Uh, and uh, we can do it. If it, we couldn't do it, it wouldn't have been taught. But because we struggle with it, it needs to be taught and encouraged. And very much just recognize some of these maps can be very daunting because in the map you can move from beginning to end in approximately seven minutes, 10, 20. But you know, it may take quite a while to just get from point A till point B begins to open. You stay with what you know, what you can do, until there's an opening to, oh, the breath now is beginning to relax. So we get from a, you know, something where the breathing is really completed and long, and now it's calming down and becoming much briefer, quieter. And now I can sense my whole body. I can sense the body as a, as a unified thing rather than bits and pieces stuck together. So you look for those openings, but you don't try to push from one stage to the next. You look for those openings. As that comes in, then you can start to incline more that way. That's how I would recommend it. Before you practice anapana, recollect feel comfortable, really get the sense of refuge. 
Really look at those getting it right, getting it wrong messages. Really start to unhook those workaholic, got to get it done by Friday messages. Really look at those I'm not as good as somebody else messages. And again, breathe through that. Feel your body independent of that. The body in itself is independent of those. But we don't often feel our the entirety of the body. When the entirety of the body is felt, is sensed, then your breathing will come through and you can pick it up. You know? And there's a gradual unfolding which doesn't support the sense of the controlling self. It's a sense of relaxation and subtle joy and happiness. This is why it's for our welfare.